Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Daoud Bakri Abdullah, an RFI trustee who has been advising on Islamic finance in his retirement after a career spent across various parts of the Islamic finance industry. During his career, Daoud led Deloitte's work on Islamic finance, was CEO of two Islamic banks, and most recently was president and CEO of INSEAF, the Global University for Islamic Finance, set up by Malaysia's Central Bank. Now, here's my conversation with Daoud Vikri Abdullah. Welcome uh, to the podcast, uh, Daoud. Uh, if you want to just uh, give yourself, uh, give an introduction of yourself uh, and your background. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll be as brief as possible. Um, my name is Daoud Vikri Abdullah. I'm, I'm currently managing director of, of uh, my own company, DVA Consulting, which is an Islamic finance advisory. Uh, but many people will have heard me of me as the uh, former president and CEO at INSEAF, the Global University of Islamic Finance, um, as well as the formal global leader for Islamic finance at Deloitte. Um, and, and to my credit, or perhaps discredit, I also started up and was CEO of, of two Islamic banks uh, in Malaysia. Um, I'm now retired, but, but, but keeping pretty busy. And, and in retirement, I'm focusing on using my experience to um, support uh, SRI and uh, SDG-type initiatives. Uh, and I'm also focusing quite a bit on young, young uh, entrepreneurs. So. Um, uh, my day job now is, is a combination of advisory where I advise the International uh, Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies on Islamic finance. Uh, I chair the advisory board at the new Astana uh, International Financial Center in Kazakhstan. Um, I also chair the advisory board at uh, islamicbanker.com. Um, and um, uh, I am an active member of the Board of Trustees of the RFI Foundation, uh, which is an initiative I'm not only proud of, um, but glad to see that it's getting considerable traction. And I, I hope we get the opportunity to talk a little bit more about that activity and the focus uh, in the coming conversation. Thanks. You gave a talk recently at the Securities Commission and Oxford Center for Islamic studies roundtable with some specific and pointed critiques of how Islamic finance works today and some recommendations for how it could work better. The discussions that started in that roundtable in your presentation have continued since then on your, on your quite active Twitter feed uh, and really seemed to hit a nerve when you talked about uh, aligning the current capital markets activity with uh, a sort of bigger vision for a sustainable Islamic capital market, uh, including the failure to to adapt how it works today to the vision that people have for uh, where they want to see it in the future. Could you give an overview of what's causing the gap uh, starting in the capital markets, but Islamic finance in general, uh, between what we have today and what people would like to see develop uh, in terms of a sustainable and Islamic uh, financial system? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to, Blake, and I'll try and do it as succinctly as possible so you can pick up and perhaps, you know, uh, repost with some, some more questions to get into more detail. The paper I presented was focused on, on what was called a roadmap for a sustainable Islamic capital market. Uh, and uh, in that paper and the discussion group at, at, at the workshop, I, I focused very much on giving some context to you know the current situation uh, in Islamic finance, um, and I, I went back to something I was quoted as saying back in June 2005 when I was asked the question, you know, what is Islamic finance? And rather than trying to stumble through an explanation of Reba, I, I came up with a, a, a phrase which I use very often and have used very often since then. Uh, the is Islamic finance is the effective and efficient utilization of capital for the benefit of the real economy. And, and the key words there are effective and efficient um, and for the benefit of the real economy. And often at the start of this conversation, people start you know, questioning what is the real economy. And I, I give some explanations of the differences between real economy, where there are real assets and real things made and, and uh, jobs created, as opposed to the financial economy, which, as everybody knows, gave rise to the global financial crisis and the collapse of, uh, the, collapse of the financial system or the temporary collapse of the financial system. Um, and, and using that as a basis, what I highlighted was that, um, you know, the reality of the current system, particularly capital markets, is that the, the conventional system is dominated by, by two things. One is, you know, debt, and the other is taxation. And to be sustainable as an Islamic uh, financial system, uh, we need to move away from debt and get more towards risk sharing. We're not anti-debt, but, you know, the overload of debt creates a problem. And what also creates a problem is that debt is acti actively encouraged in the uh, conventional system by giving tax relief on um, money that you borrow and, and pay interest on. So if you borrow a house uh, for a house, you get tax relief on that. Uh, if you borrow as a company, you get tax relief and incentives that way, but you do not get incentives for Islamic constructed uh, contracts which support risk sharing. So equity investment or, or what is called in Arabic musharaka or mudaraba type investments are not encouraged. You also have a legal system which reinforces the debt-based system. So therefore, if you're a debtor, you're more likely to be penalized and the legal system actually supports um, uh, the, the creditor in these situations. So if we're looking at building a sustainable Islamic capital market, uh, we're already, you know, have the deck stacked against us because the global system tends to support debt and tax relief on interest, and also in terms of litigation, um, it supports uh, generally the creditor rather than the, than the debtor. So given that background, I started talking about, well, what's happening? And the reality of what is happening now is that, frankly, we're unlikely to see that much change coming from the top down in terms of changes in legislation. Islamic finance has, has grown, um, and it's got to, you know, a reasonable position. In fact, to be frank, having been in the industry close to 30 years now, um, it is 
way further forward than any of us could have imagined in the early 90s in terms of proportions and percentages, but it's still less than 2% of global, global assets. Um, and what we're seeing is um, a, a recognition of its existence, um, uh, but there's probably not a lot of headway that Islamic finance overall can make uh, because of the constraints of debt-based systems and the way the legal systems work. What I am seeing, and what many people are seeing, is a groundswell of, of bottom-up thinking and bottom-up action. And I'll, I'll give a couple of examples of this and then, and, and then rest um, and, and, and let you come back. One example is, is, is the attitude of the millennials. And there's some very interesting work which was reported on about a year ago by the UN uh, PRI, Principles and Responsible Investment, where they were looking at the millennials. And the, there was a lot of data there, but three bits of data stood out for me. One was that by 2025, 75% of the world's working population will be millennials. So that's a significant chunk of people. And two of the top priorities or attributes of these millennials are as follows. 90% of millennials will not invest in anything which is not UN uh, SDG compliant or follows the, the 17 SDGs. And 90% as well wouldn't want to work for a company which did not advocate and support those SDGs. And that to me shows um, a significant amount of change in, in thinking, which we are actually starting to see in the field. Um, you know, many, many people who I've been interacting with who are millennials, who have been my students in the past, rather than wishing to go and work for an Islamic financial institution, as indeed they did 10 years ago or perhaps six years ago, are now much more inclined to get involved in impact type activities. They're getting into startups, they're doing fintech, they're doing crowdfunding, uh, they're getting engaged in, in professional services or indeed philanthropic services. And we're starting to see a plethora of activity um, in, in the fintech space, um, in the space of sort of thinking about the mechanics of processes and operations, um, engagement with, you know, with mathematicians, looking at Sharia compliant products from a mathematical standpoint, rather than aping and copying the conventional world. And we're seeing a lot of young people getting engaged in projects which are creating impact, but also creating wealth at the same time. And if we have time on the call, I'd be happy to give one or two examples or case studies of the kind of projects which are happening, which are actually both philanthropic, but sustainable and creating wealth. Going back to your initial comment about the real economy and the, the challenges from a top-down lens of, of the tax incentives for debt, there's also the sort of parallel tax uh, burden that's placed more on uh, viewing viewing workers viewing employment as a cost and, and there's I think with the technology uh, development that you mentioned uh, that's going to be something that's uh, going to have to shift and, and I think Islamic finance offers some early uh, ideas around you know you're trying to build build a real economy that has risk sharing that's sharing burden between uh, different parties in a transaction and starts changing the mindset uh, away from, uh, from debt as something that's that's really valuable and useful uh, for uh, constructing the financial economy versus 
employees, employees, people, and knowledge is really building uh, the future of the real economy. And so it, when you're shifting from one towards the other and encouraging that shift uh, through Islamic finance, it, it's contributing to some bigger uh, changes in how people are thinking and how people are uh, viewing the future of, of uh, the financial system and the economy. You think in, indeed, uh, I, I think you put it very well, and, and I, I, I would try to wrap that up in a, in a sort of succinct statement. It's all about joining up the dots, and we're seeing a lot of dots being joined up. And, and that's largely because um, conversations are starting, collaborations are happening, but this is very much enabled by you know, access to information. So social media, um, you know, the ease with which people can collaborate, albeit the nature is different from, you know, from, from my day of, of handwritten letters and hand-posted ledgers, which is, you know, people can now start trying to guess my age, but it wasn't that long ago. Um, so the whole nature of the animal has, has changed. Information is shared much more willingly. Um, and, and there's much more capability to share that information. And there is a real um, emphasis on, on, on collaboration and, and shall we say, people discovering things about each other where there are, you know, uh, matters in common um, around ethics or responsibility, which are, are very much shared values. And people are starting to understand more and more of the kind of things, you know, that they can do. And, and this on, on the one hand, I, I see as a, a valuable part of, of what is done at the RFI Foundation, where I, I've made several new over the last three or four years that we've been in operation, new and very lasting and significant friendships with people who I perhaps would not have met had I just stayed in my Islamic finance space. And, and I think also um, the way that that is being you know, translated in, into actual action in the field, um, as you're aware, but maybe listeners are not aware, since retirement, I've been doing quite a bit of work with the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent. And one of the projects I've worked on there is using uh, Islamic charitable contributions known as zakat, which have come from a state in Malaysia which has surplus and, and wanted to you know, do good. Um, and they wanted to do good um, uh, to help projects in East Africa, which were being run by the Red Cross there. Um, and the extent of doing good was not limited to just, well, we only do good for Muslims. It was actually, we want to do good for everybody, which is, you know, absolutely both admirable and, and a very clear demonstration of Islam's duty of care for all humanity and, and the entire planet. Um, their contribution um, was um, in, in millions uh, of dollars or over a million dollars. Um, but it was used for drought relief. So, you know, new wells were, were created and old ones restored. So, you know, water distribution became a, a much, uh, uh, you know, provided much relief um, in, in a drought-ridden area. But they also provided a certified grain, grain, which could be grown as a cash crop. And the investment um, was a, a multiple of about 10 times, or that, well, what was produced was a multiple of 10 times the investment. So in other words, for um, you know, a, um, a, a dollar that was invested given as zakat actually produced a cash crop worth about $10 per, you know, per capita. And what was interesting, this is in largely a non-Muslim area, and the local people decided that A, 
they would want it to pay back the zakat. And, and of course, zakat can't be repaid, but the intention is that you give zakat as well. So they gave that um, as a benefit for the, you know, the next county, which was in trouble. And B, they saved a little bit for you know, investing in the, in the next crop. So we actually had a charitable donation creating capital because uh, you know, the grain was turned into a very successful crop. And um, what has happened is in that district, we're, we're talking about 1.4 million lives were positively impacted in a sustainable way. And the model is now set for that to be replicated. Indeed, another county in Kenya with a similar population, uh, another project has been launched on the back of the success of that project and the investment from the community. Um, so there's a clear demonstration that um, you know, social finance um, if applied correctly at the ground level, can not only you know, be philanthropic, but it can be sustainable and it can generate capital, which can be put to good use. Yeah, I think that's, it's really important the, the way that the thinking has shifted around, uh, around how to transform uh, the financial system for the benefit of the real economy, where it, everything doesn't seem to be a top-down uh, and large-scale approach. But is finding the most targeted uh, targeted interventions where there's uh, the greatest impact, whether or not that is entirely or uh, solely uh, from a financial return, and it accommodates broad range of uh, of interested parties, whether they uh, have for-profit uh, institutions that are involved in these types of investments, uh, but you can also have charitable donations being uh, channeled to something that has an equivalent return potential, uh, both yeah. on the social and uh, social, in, environmental, and uh, economic level. In, indeed, and and I, and I think there's you know there's a clear but simple message which is emerging here, which isn't you know widely understood, and perhaps through this call and and this podcast and and other activity that is done at the RFI Foundation, we're beginning to get a message across that. The way Islamic finance work works is both business and socially related. That you know the two things are inseparable. And that example of a Malaysian state and Kenya, you know, collaborating effectively to a solve a problem, but b make it sustainable and to generate wealth, um, you know, provides an excellent case study for others to build on. But it's this this you know simple model of the power of Islamic finance with the power of the social financing options through zakat and sadaqa and through, through wakaf uh, endowment funds, an application in the business world with the normal business transactions is, is perhaps, dare I say, a unique feature of Islamic finance where the barriers are not so great and we're seeing you know, a vast amount of interaction between the business world and, and the social finance world. Uh, indeed, uh, um, the GABV, that has a pretty broad membership of what I would call small, but you know, socially focused banks around the world. I think over 40 of them. And much of their research in recent years has indicated that there is a premium for you know, the sustainability. In fact, their financial performance of their members actually outstrips the financial performance pound for pound, you know, on a weighted average basis of most of the leading banks of the world. So there is actually, you know, profits to be made in behaving in a sustainable and impactful way. Yeah, and I was going to bring up the uh, GABV, the uh, Global Alliance for Banking on Values, uh, because they they have been uh, expanding. I think we've been 
uh, working with them for a couple of years now. Uh, had, we had them participating in our summit last year in Zurich, but they've just uh, added their first Islamic banking member uh, from Malaysia. Uh, yes. a lot. Uh, and their, their thinking and their approach has been uh, influential on the central bank, Bank Negara's value-based intermediation strategy that's being currently rolled out. And there's going to be, uh, I think, a measurement tool that's coming out this October uh, for banks that are members of that value-based intermediation group, some of which are RFI members. Uh, and it's really aligning these different developed tools that had to share a common uh, a common set of values that are driving what they're trying to accomplish for the, going back to our the top of our discussion, what they're trying to accomplish for the benefit of the real economy uh, in the way that they mobilize uh, financial resources. In, indeed. And, and it's, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, just let me yeah. comment on that, the VBI thing. Um, I, I find it encouraging that the Islamic finance world is looking outside of its world for you know, support, assistance, and collaboration. And, and it's really about the shared values which are there. You know, one, one could argue that this always ought to be, have been you know, the, the value base of Islamic banking or Islamic finance. But the, to me, there's no harm at all in consulting and getting input from you know from other areas, so there there are many many shared values, and indeed it's a it, it's an admirable reflection of the work of the RFI Foundation that it is effectively bringing together um, the thinkers and the doers and the movers and shakers in this area, and realizing that probably ninety percent plus of what we talk about and can do. Um, is all on the basis of shared values. Yes, there are one or two differences, but they're not, you know, they're not massive. Um, they're certainly not things that get in the way of getting stuff done. And and this is this is to be encouraged. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're one humanity living on one planet, and we're all challenged by similar problems. Um, the more we can apply our brain power, uh, and the more we can collaborate, and the more we can enter into conversations about these topics. The, the greater likelihood of success. Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've seen, we wrote in our newsletter recently about the, the Global Impact Investment Network, uh, who had developed a five to seven year roadmap for how they saw the, the impact investment uh, sector develop as a more of an aspirational document uh, of where they would like to see it uh, develop. And it, and it had a lot of things in common. That's so what we discussed in the newsletter was, the, the similarities and the overlaps uh, with the focus for the uh, Global Impact Investment Network roadmap and the BBI strategy. And they were developed sort of coming from different perspectives, but uh, again, shared values led them towards the same conclusion. Uh, and it's a really positive development and something that moves us past the, the process arguments and more towards what are we trying to accomplish? And I think that, you know, it gets back you know, again, we, we're trying to figure out how to encourage effective and efficient mobilization of capital for the support of the real economy. And post-financial crisis, it's now the topic that everyone is focused on. Do you have any other uh, examples of the ground-up initiatives uh, that are supporting these types of developments? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I, I think from, from the ground up, I, 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 I have several, but I'll try and contain myself to, you know, to, you know, to, 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 to one um, uh, in particular. I, I, I think from the ground up, there, there, there is a lot happening 
in, in what I would call the you know the education and, and young uh, entrepreneur space. And and I, I hark back to my um, recent days at INSEAF, or it's less than a year since I left there. Um, but one of the initiatives we were working on was action-based learning. So this was um, at the university where we were running masters and PhD programs, was, was looking at how we could engage students actually working on consulting type projects um, at, uh, at industry members, you know, and, and solving problems. And the objective of doing this was, was one, um, to provide um, industry membership some, some insight into what the students were thinking about and also what they were capable of, and perhaps, you know, putting themselves in a good light in the job market. Um, it also provided a, a reasonably cheap way of, of, of getting um, a, a good level of consulting. But thirdly, and most importantly, you got the, the, the sort of transformation of ideas that um, we were sensing a willingness of industry and industry leadership to engage with younger people to start you know, looking at the ideas they were creating and, and being prepared to go through much more of an iterative process. Um, you know, rather than being dismissive and saying, well, what do young people know? They know nothing. They don't know all the problems I've got. Um, it was just simple, you know, engagement. And I'm very glad to see that my successor um, is endorsing the program and is developing it. Um, it will take time, but it's, it's, it, it's actually working in a very, you know, efficient way already. And other universities and other places of learning are getting into this type of engagement. It's, it's how... Um, you know, the youth or the millennials or Gen Y or Gen X or Gen Z, um, whatever you want to call them, um, we need to be reaching out and communicating to them and giving them a platform for discussion and making them feel as if they are, they are really included and they're empowered, you know, to be at the debate. Uh, at the recent roundtable run by the Securities Commission and OSIS, I was delighted to see some of the younger members uh, of, of, of society, the up-and-coming thinkers, getting airtime. I was also very happy to see um, some encouraging signs on gender balance, um, as well as um, you know, bringing in some people who were not specifically linked with Islamic capital markets, people who were working on sustainable projects. So uh, the example I'm giving here is, is very much at the ground up um, that people are thinking about it. And we, and we have to encourage, um, you know, the deep thought, um, which is often coming out of, you know, young people who are doing PhD theses um, and, and working on, on, on their research and papers. Um, in an applied way, and I, I often use here. I, I like to use quotes which are which are relevant. A, 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 a quote from Martin Luther King, um, where he he was indicating how important it is to think. And his quote is: "Rarely do we find men who willingly engage in hard, solid thinking. There is an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions." Nothing pains some people more than having to think. And, and I use that quote as a sort of prompt to encourage people, let's get in and think about these issues and think about them from the ground up. Because from the ground up, we can get attention higher up and change will happen that way. Uh, it's tough when you're at the top to take the time out to do the thinking. And I'm delighted now in retirement, I have a little bit more time to do the thinking that may well be required. Well, that's great. I mean, I think that sort of sums up where we where we are now um, 
sort of also some of the uh, engagement that the RFI is doing is to try to go out and find find the best ideas in this area, whether they're coming from Islamic finance or not, uh, and just looking at you know anything that is compatible and that can bring the two together uh, has the potential to be valuable and and sort of listening and giving uh, a critical critical view and critical discussion around uh, around new ideas uh, is is really the only way to to go about finding the finding the solution to the to the problems that have compounded us for for a long time absolutely and may i say uh, blake that the work that uh, that you're leading and spearheading as ceo of the rfi foundation is is in part instrumental for this it provides a very valuable platform to encourage not only the research but the applied discussion um, um, in in what i would call a sensible format which allows time for ideas to develop um, what we can't afford is, you know, the not invented here syndrome, or even worse, reinventing the wheel. It's making sure the knowledge is shared and that we engage in conversations with everybody who feels they can contribute and they feel that they can get good airtime. And, and um, uh, on a personal note, uh, I would like to say how delighted I am to be part of the RFI Foundation uh, Board of Trustees uh, to be as active as I can. And I see it as such a valuable uh, vehicle for not only promoting ideas, but learning of new ideas and exchanging ideas through intelligent conversation. Well, thank you. And we're so glad to have you uh, as an active member of the board. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing you at our upcoming RFI Summit uh, in Zurich on April 26th and 27th. Uh, it's my, my pleasure, Blake, and I look forward to seeing you as well and, and the rest of the team. And, and I, I understand about 200 participants, uh, inshallah, um, coming to Zurich. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want to stay updated about RFI's work, you can find the link to subscribe to our newsletter, on our Twitter feed, at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me, at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.